Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. to Outcasts with Wicked Witch of the West, Tim Downey, and leader of the Lollipop Guild, David Berry. Today on Outcasts, we follow the yellow brick Wilmington Road all the way to Outlander Emerald City, where we will have all our wishes granted. Our guest today has cast all your favourite shows from Good Omens, Pennyworth, Into the Badlands, Black Sails, Nightfall, the list goes on and on, and of course, Outlander. She is the very wonderful Suzanne Smith. Suzanne, welcome. Hi, guys. From London and Australia. Uh, how have you been? How's it all been treating you? Well, I mean, it's as we all know, it's very strange because, you know, all production all over the world has ceased. So it's uh, so instead of sort of working 12, 14 hour days, it's, it's very strange to be not working. How are you occupying your time at the uh, at the moment? Well, uh, just before we were in lockdown, I um, bought a flat, but I haven't been able to move into it. So slowly I'm getting it ready. uh, And I think I'll be in there for about in in three weeks time because I've had to get it painted. And uh, and also my furniture is all in lockdown also. So uh, I'm just waiting for everything to be open so <laughs> I can finally move in. To hark back to the to the good old days of of casting uh, we, we we will do our uh, our usual of grabbing a scene and playing it out playing it out between us and uh, and seeing what comes out seeing what new new frisson we can get from the material so the scene we have today which is very exciting is uh, is a Jack Randall scene and this scene was actually one of the scenes used in the casting of of the character of uh, yes, it was. Uh, and why was this scene in particular why was this scene chosen do you think um well it because it sort of shows the intimidation of Jack Randall towards Claire so that's that's why it was was uh, chosen because well, we also then, you know, showed the other, the other, uh, the other, the nice, because obviously uh, Tobias plays two roles. So mm-hmm. you've got to see the, the nice, um, the nice part of him as well as the not so nice. Yes. So, uh, Suzanne, you're going to give us your Claire. Wonderful. Very exciting. And who is going to give us your, the, the Jack Randall? It was David, actually. Oh, I know, because I thought he can, because he's plays such a, a nice Lord John is so nice. So I'm going to make him play um, against type. Excellent, excellent. Oh, now this I am looking forward to. <laughs> oh, this is going to be it really against type. Maybe my Lord John. Dig deep, dig deep, David. I think you're going to, I think you're going to find it there somewhere. Oh, I won't have to dig very deep at all. Don't worry. 
Right. Okay. So I shall read uh, stage directions. Very exciting. So here we go. So the Outlander, this is the Jack Randall audition scene. So interior, Brockton Inn, Commander's Room, mid-morning. A tentative Claire enters the room, only to find herself face-to-face with Captain Jonathan Jack Randall. The captain stands by the open window, his slim, straight figure silhouetted by the light. Randall turns to Claire, letting out a short laugh. Ha <laughs> ha! I wouldn't do it like that. I just... Uh, anyway. You just got nervous, didn't you? Just nervous. I did, I did, I did. Okay. <laughs> yes, I thought so. It had to be you, from Mackenzie's description. Please make yourself comfortable. As Claire sits, Randall signals to a young corporal. <laughs> hey, this fella. Corporal Hawkins, who stands at attention near the door. Hawkins clumsily pours a mug of ale for Claire. Randall pours himself a mug as well and sinks gracefully onto a stool across the table from Claire. I'm wondering in the actual audition when I do that, I'd try and sink gracefully onto a stool. How much would I pay attention to this? I think I could do it. Would I get a stool in the audition? Would there be a stool in the audition? Maybe I just stand. These are the other things that would be going through my head in the audition. Anyway, all right. Why don't you tell me who you are and how you came to find yourself here? I am a widowed lady of Oxfordshire. I was traveling with a manservant en route to distant relatives in France when we were set upon by highwaymen. My servant was either killed or run off, and while wandering in the woods, I was, that is, newfoundly. Oxfordshire, you say? There are no Beauchamps in Oxfordshire that I know of. How would you know? Um, You're from Sussex yourself. Claire immediately catches herself, but it's too late, as Randall's eyes pop open in surprise. May I ask how you know that? Uh, Your voice. Uh, Yes, it's your accent, clearly, Sussex. It's not a Sussex accent. I mean, we, we all know this. It's my RP accent, and, and I'm not going to any level of nuance here, so I'm, I'm just going to power through here. Neither my tutors nor my parents would be much obliged to hear that my speech so clearly reflects my birthplace, madam, because it doesn't. Uh, they haven't gone to considerable trouble to an expense to remedy it by making me sound like an Australian. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, that was my own ad-lib. Uh, But being the expert at local speech patterns that you are, no doubt you can also identify my corporal's place of origin. Corporal Hawkins, would you oblige me by reciting something, anything at will? Will you, uh, perhaps some popular verse? Hawkins glances wildly about the room for inspiration before choosing what he hopes will be the right popular verse. Right, here we go, here we go. Boxer Meg, I know what you're thinking, is a lot quite as cultured as Cheshire, but... You know, he's, he's just moved there. Okay. She washed my clothes and took them all away. I waited, thus in sore distress, and then I made her pay. Less than pleased, Randall stopped the corporal with a dismissive motion. Uh, that will do, corporal, thank you. Well? Uh, Cheshire? Close, Lancashire. Randall strolls over to the window. Suddenly, he whirls back to face Claire. Parlez-vous français? Uh, Très bien. What of it? Randall studies Claire for a measured beat. Damn, if I think you're French. Could be, I suppose, but I've yet to meet a Frenchie who could tell a Cockney from a Cornishman. What was your maiden name, Miss Beauchamp? Look, Captain, entertaining as it is to play 20 questions with you, I should really like to conclude these preliminaries and arrange for the continuation of my journey. I've already been delayed for some time, and... uh... You do not help your case by adopting this frivolous attitude, madam. 
I have no case to help. All I want is to be allowed to resume my journey in peace. I see no reason why you ought to have any objection to that. Oh, don't you? Well, consider my position for a moment, madam, and perhaps my objections will become clearer. A month ago I was with my men in hot pursuit of a band of unidentified Scottish bandits who had absconded with a small herd of cattle from an estate near the border when... Oh, uh, so that's what they were doing. I, I, I wondered. Randall stops, not accustomed to being interrupted. After a deep breath, he continues his story. In the midst of this lawless pursuit, I encountered a half-dressed Englishwoman in a place where no Englishwoman should be, even with a proper escort, who resists my inquiries, assaults my person... You insulted mine first. ...whose accomplice renders me unconscious by a cowardly attack and who then flees the area plainly with some assistance... My men and I searched that area most thoroughly, and I assure you, madam, there was no trace of your murdered servant, your plundered baggage, your discarded gown, nor the merest sign that there is the slightest truth to your story. Oh. Yes. I'm really getting into this. I love this character. Yeah. What's oh, hell? Is really there's, there's, fun. There's a, there's a focus, David, that I haven't seen before. I I'll be honest with you. It's, You're absolutely it's right. It's steely. Yeah, two adversaries can't even speak. Um, great fun. Anyway, let me get back into it. Sorry. Broke out of character. Get back in. I'll go, I'll yes. go Broke out of character just to admire yeah. it. <laughs> God, this is good. Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> Miles away. Just wanted everyone to take notice of that. You're right, Tim. I, this I this is that. sight reading, guys, really, isn't it? So we've got, it, it, got it, yes. sight reading. Thank you, Suzanne. Even more <laughs> reason to laud my efforts here. Um, furthermore, there have been no reports of bandits in that area within the last four months. And now, madam, you turn up in company with the war chieftain of Clan Mackenzie, who tells me that his brother Colm is convinced you are a spy, presumably working for me. Well, I'm not, am I? You know that, at least. Yes, I know that. What I don't know is who the devil you are. But I mean to find out, madam. Have no doubts about that. As to that, I am the commander of this garrison. As such, I am empowered to take certain steps in order to secure the safety of this area against traitors, spies, and any other persons whose behaviour I consider suspicious. And those steps, madam, I am fully prepared to take. And just what might those steps be? Randall stands, looking down at Claire for a moment before walking around the table and drawing her to her feet. Corporal Hawkins, I shall require your assistance for a moment. Stand behind the lady, please. Corporal, and take her firmly by both elbows. As the corporal follows the order, Randall draws back and hits Claire in the pit of her stomach. Claire oh. doubles over. Boom. Claire doubles over onto the floor, struggling to take in air. Randall squats down in front of her, a newfound brightness in his eyes. Trust you not with child, madam, because if you are, you won't be for long. Look at me. Have you anything to say to me now, madam? Your wig is crooked. Whoa! Boom. Boom. Wow. Boom. That's End scene. What a scene. What a scene. A great scene, isn't Glorious. it? That's a great scene. If I got that, I'd be like, man, I'm playing Jack Randall. There must have been tons of people running to audition for this part. Well, remember, he's also playing Frank as well. So Jack and Frank. Hey, you great. said I can play nice and mean. I mean I think clearly, I can play mean now. Yeah. This is the role I should have, should have had, clearly. <laughs> 
Sorry, I'm, I'm getting a really bit <laughs> too carried away with my performance here. It's already been cast, David. It's cast. I know, oh, I know. Yeah, season one. <laughs> How many people were seen for Tobias's part in the end? Um, mm, I, I can't remember offhand, but not. I mean, obviously, the, the biggest search was for Claire, actually. Oh. It wasn't for Jamie, it was for, for Claire. Yeah. How many sort of roughly would, would they have seen for Claire? Hundreds. I mean, it's, oh, really? uh, I can't remember how many, but it, because we looked everywhere. We looked here in the UK, we looked in Canada, we looked in Australia. Mm -hmm. I had one of my friends audition for it. I helped her with a reading. Oh, did you? I think I had wow. to play. <laughs> yeah, I think, well, maybe I did. I remember going through one of the audition scenes with her and thinking, what is this nonsense, outlander, time travel stuff? What, what is this you're auditioning for? And I ended up reading, I was like, oh, this is quite interesting. Yeah. And then lo and behold, several years later, I'd be on the show. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I, they did look in Australia. Yeah, so it was a, a, it was a, a worldwide search uh, for, mm. for Claire. Um, and because she has so, as you know, there's so many qualities that she has to in, uh, to show. So um, it's getting that strength of character uh, that she has, as well as the warmth and the humor, mm -hmm. the vulnerability. I mean, the, the, all the multifacets that Cat. Uh, and when certain people walk into a room, do you instinctively think? I think this person's going to be that part. And obviously there's probably a few people that hit that mark. Sometimes that happens. Hmm. Um, it's, it's not always up to you, to me to make that, it's not up to me to make that decision. And, you know, ultimately it's a lot, a lot of people, as you know, it's, you know, producers, network, director. It's so, so many people have an input. In Maybe we need to know before we get into it for the people at home, what, what is a casting director? What is the job of a casting director? Yeah, it's, that's a very, I'm glad you say casting director because uh, so many people call us casting agents, which we hate because mm. I'm not an agent. I don't look up, an agent looks after actors mm. and helps you, you've both got agents, helps you to get jobs. Uh, a casting director works closely with the um, director, producers, network, uh, and director to show their vision on the, the piece, talk to them, um, find actors that are right. Sometimes you need names in order to get a production off the ground. With Outlander, that, because it was with stars, they said, we don't need names, which is fantastic. You know, we want to make stars of the actors. So it was really refreshing that we could look everywhere and have that opportunity to find, to find the, right, the right actors for the role. So the process, you know, we check if you need names, obviously we check availabilities of actors. Um, and then, you know, if you are going to make a straight offer to a named actor, then you send a script, make a financial offer. They either want to do it or they, or they don't, because they might not you know, gel with the role or not. But the other part of it, you know, for every single role on Outlander, nobody really got a script. You didn't get scripts, did you guys? 
Uh, yes, we, we, we send scenes out. So we've just done a scene. So um, we send scenes, we put out a breakdown uh, for the mm -hmm. role. So a breakdown uh, summarizes the, what the show is about, uh, who's involved in it, that's the producer, director, say network, and then it has a description of all the roles. Um, and also we have, you know, normally dates of when we need the, the actors and also sort of what union it is or is it non-union or, you know, so, so you've got all the information for you, the actor, and for the, for the, for the agent. So we, we send out breakdowns. Uh, we equally um, check availability of actors because part of a casting director is that we should know actors um, before coming a full casting director, I was a casting assistant. So you learn, you learn all the agents, you learn the process, you check availabilities. Um, then also you bring actors in to audition um, for for the role. You send out scenes. Sometimes you know if you're doing like a Marvel movie, um, you have to sign a, a non-disclosure agreement, an NDA. So. Uh, because it's all secret and sometimes you don't really get this, the right scene because they don't want to disclose that you're playing uh, you're, you're um, auditioning for a larger role um, uh -huh. so actors either sort of come in and audition or they self-tape and you can imagine you know sometimes an actor is available at the beginning of the week but they might not be available at the end of the week because they might have taken another another job and if you're really with a yeah. good agent, you know, the agent will sort of ring you and just sort of say, oh, by the way, um, I've got uh, an offer on the table for, you know, a theatre gig or a, a, another, uh, another show, but my client would like to do your show as opposed to the, the other show or, or not, <laughs> you know, sort mm. of. Uh, um, so, you know, you know, we hope that agents do, do let us know that information. Uh, so we're constantly, you know, if we know that an actor is liked or if we really like an actor and we keep tabs on them for, um, uh, for, for the production. But now with, with everything that in the world has changed, I think, you know, there won't be, at the moment, there won't be, when we get up and running again, there won't be so many face-to-face -face auditions. It will be mostly self-taping. Mm -hmm. I'm wondering... If you could describe where you think the craft comes in, what is the craft of the casting director? Well, the craft is, I mean, the other thing that casting directors do is we, you know, go to the theatre, not that there is any theatre at the moment, but I mean, you spend mm. a lot of time, you know, going to the theatre, getting to know actors, going to drama schools, um, watching television, watching films. So you get to know, you know, actors as, as, as well as, you know, sometimes meeting them in person. If um, So the, that, that is part of the craft, is that you see them develop uh, from, say, drama school to their first sort of job. And, you know, I and my, my office sort of make a... Um, we find, you know, we do help a lot of actors because, you know, if you've been to drama school, you probably only get like a week of um, camera work mm. because mostly it's for theatre. That's very true. So yeah. we do uh, help a lot sort of with 
coming in for the audition to help them, put them at ease, give them tips on how to uh, approach, you know, camera work. Um, Tim, did you go into Suzanne's office? Did you- I did. Yeah. Yes, uh-huh. I did. Yes, I did. I, I, I know it. I know it well. <laughs> How about the two of you walk us through that? Because I, I want to hear that. My experience is completely different. I want to hear what happens when you go into Suzanne's office, Tim. From the perspective of, a, of an actor, and then maybe the, from the perspective of Suzanne might be an Well, from the perspective of an actor, it's, it's actually one of my favourite because uh, Suzanne will usually say, you know, the room is ready. If you want to just go in and, and prepare yourself, which is, for me, perfect. Because there's nothing better than just kind of going into the room, being in the room, but nobody else is there. I just kind of going, okay, this is the scene. This is what we'll be doing. Just running it a few in, times in your head just so you get an idea of, okay, this is where, this is how it's going to be. This is how we're going to do. Because um, it is quite nervous, as, as all actors know. It's very nervy to walk straight into a room and everybody be there. Or especially if it's the first time you're going up for a, a part. Um, and then and then Suzanne comes in and then and then it begins. And then it begins. So from my point of view, that it, that first initial... Um, moment just to kind of calm, focus, and then to get ready for what you're going to do. To so hopefully do you know do do it exactly right um, is is vital. How do how do you find it, Suzanne? Yes, I mean we, we tend to hear, um, and I am in my office at the moment. Is um, is we don't over schedule, so uh, so we have. Um, so we don't have actors waiting, you know, en masse. We, we tend to give time to everybody because we want to feel, make them feel sort of comfortable because we know it's sort of you're having to learn lines. You've got the camera, you know, reading with actors. Um, and we want you to feel as sort of as comfortable as possible because we want you to do the best and uh, to make you you feel comfortable in the in the situation so we always have you know water here if you want water um it's it and i know i'm very lucky in that i have an office with a studio because you know sometimes casting directors don't have that luxury and they're at um they're at spotlight or another studio and then you know time matters and so a lot of the actors then sort of you sit you see them don't you waiting sort of friends <laughs> i appreciate the water and i i reckon maybe a therapist there as well um, <laughs> a, a life coach um just the simple creature comforts to make the experience a little nicer <laughs> like you were saying earlier it's all about relationships and it's kind of like very early relationships be it that you see them at drama school or in a play and they kind of catch your eye yes. and all of these kind of early relationships that that begin and then grow and then they you know become what they become and how do you think where we are now that will change because if things are being sent in say it's going to be a lot more self-tapes it's going to, is it going to be harder to, to kind of get that relationship with an actor? I think it is. And I, th- I really do feel for the um, drama school students that didn't get their opportunity to do their showcases this year. Because, you know, a lot of the showcases were March, April, May. Where, you know, they, so they've missed out on agents as as well as as casting directors um i know that there we can 
you know, spotlight here, which sort of uh, we tend to put sort of our breakdowns out uh, via, have been really great in sort of gathering all, uh, and also the drama schools have been very helpful in um, making sure that they have um, filmed their uh, the actors um, of, of the of, of their final year, so we can view them as opposed to meet them in person. But um, I think with you know Zoom has helped an awful lot, and it, it is quite user friendly. Hmm. Well, it's hey cool. Suzanne, we never met. We never met. And I, no, I got this meet. wrong. No, I walked in in Sydney, Australia. And I, I never met Pat. I, she self-taped. And um, uh, so that, that's, that, was, that was great in, in the sense but, uh, that she got the, the role from uh, a, a tape, um, and, which I had on my desk because when she did it, it's the scene that, the, the, Claire, the Claire scene that I gave you. And mm. I, and it was, and I, I put it there on my desktop and I didn't post it um, because I kept thinking, because it, it wasn't, it wasn't quite right because she, it was a lot, um, and then her agent rang me and said, um, what did you think? And I said, actually, I've got it on my desktop. So my instinct told me that the, because uh, he, he, he'd just become her agent here in the UK. And he, uh, he said, can you send it? He hadn't seen it. Can you send it to me? And I sent it to him. And I said, there's a problem. Um, um, and he, he agreed uh, when he looked at it. And so he said, give me all the notes. I gave him all the notes. She retaped. I put her, I put her picture up on the website. Um, one of my producers said, "Who's that beautiful, beautiful actress that you haven't got the tape?" I said, "I'm waiting for the tape to come." Mm -hmm. I said, "I'll let you know as soon as I've got it." And this was really mm -hmm. at the, towards the end of the casting. As soon as I got it, I sent it out to everybody, and they went. We're testing her. Wow, it goes to show that the things that there's so many steps there that could have gone wrong. Well, but I it was there ready to I was going to to uh, give notes, so it was there on my desktop for do for for that. There seems to be so many things that could have gone wrong there. I mean, and a lot of actors when they, when they go into an audition or book a role, they construct this narrative that that somehow they kind of felt like they were destined for the role. And when we look back, we kind of think like maybe Cat was always destined for the role. Like it's like some of the universe was pushing them in that direction. Um, but maybe it's because like as actors, so much is out of our control, and we like to feel that like fate played a hand in our casting. But not to take any, anything away from what you do, but do you think there is a degree of the kismet in casting, like somehow the universe conspires to help you find the right person for the job. Sometimes, but sometimes you know, um, uh, like, I mean, I knew that Sam would be Jamie. I mean, it's just because I've known him from drama school and how, how many six foot, you know, three plus actors right. who can act and have his looks. I mean, it's just... Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, sometimes you do know you know who is right right for a role, mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. and it, it's 
sometimes and sometimes the stars align you know in the in the right way like good omens it's like the stars aligned in a lot of a lot of ways it was uh are you a superstitious person do you believe in that kind of thing i believe you have to be positive um i'm i'm not a negative person i always sort of believe that you will find uh, leave no stone unturned and you will find the right the right person um it, it's sort of i've always had that sort of uh, belief in in the car in my in my process that you do um and it is like a jigsaw puzzle because it's you can't have you get one one person who links with somebody else and then they link with the rest of the family it, it it's it's a bit like that it's sort of um there are so many connections there's always that actor thing i mean i've been in for um for parts where i i, I have walked out gone, i have given the worst audition i think any human could give oh that's when you know you're going to get it that's and you know, that, and that's exactly it. And yeah, that's exactly that's... it. And you'll walk away to go. That's it. Gone. Forget yeah. it. Oh, often you have agents ring up saying, "Oh God, they did a terrible audition. Do you mind if they go home and self tape?" And I'm going, "No, they were actually." <laughs> John Lithgow said this thing. He was cast originally in Tim Burton's Batman as the Joker, and he said that he came in and he was trying to convince Tim Burton he was the absolute worst person for the role. And that ended up getting him the role, funnily enough. I mean, he eventually turned it down and that went to Jack Nicholson. But uh, I, I definitely felt the same way. I thought that was the worst audition I've done in my life. Yeah. And that always is the way that, you know, oh, for sure, it's there's something about that that you're going to get the role. But there's no rhyme or reason. For instance, when I went, actually, when I did come in for, um, for Outlander, I actually thought, oh, I've done, I think I've done that as well as I could have done. And I was very clear. I thought, no, I've done that very well. And that's quite rare. Because usually you, you 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 know any walk back you go oh, I should have done that should ah actually that would have sounded better like this or that would have sounded better like that a constant analy you know analytic analyzing what you could have done wrong or what you could have done better because it's because you know once it's out there it's out in the out in the world isn't it it's out of your control and, and you know every as I said everybody has different opinions you know sort of you're not just pleasing mm. you know one person you're pleasing a whole group of people. Um, mm. And, and that's and I I have to audition for th I audition for things as well sort of uh, and normally I kn I know if they like me or not or <laughs> you know if, if um, how do you audition for things well I mean I I read a script and then I I go for a meeting or have a meeting on mm -hmm. on on used to be Skype um, but I think it will be uh, it would be on Zoom now because I I think Zoom is mm -hmm. much better than Skype. Right. So you have to go in there to these producers and you're having to audition to get the job to cast their show. Yeah, I, I met uh, I met Ron and Merrill. To, um, and I, I'd read the book. So that's um, so I went and, and met them. So and um, how did that audition go? What did you have to do? You weren't reading sides, were you? You weren't in the room getting ready. No, I read a book. Read the book. I read the book. So I could talk about characters and uh, um and I was, you know, I, I admired Ron and all his work as well. So it's... Uh... And is it quite exciting? Like you mentioned before about um, uh, certain shows need a name or would like a name. And then that's the kind of hook yeah. to then build everything around. Is is it... What's the most exciting part of casting? Is it when someone says, much like they said with uh, Outlander, 
We don't want names. We just want you to find the characters, find the people that embody these parts the best. Does that free you up as a casting director? Go great. No, I mean, sometimes the name, the name is best, you know, sort of. Uh, it, it's whoever is right, is right for the role, I think. It's, 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 um, you know, everything has limitations, whether it's on a budget or... Um, or you know you or availability of actors, mm. because sometimes you know you think the per most perfect actor um, is not available, and mm. uh, and it might be that it might only be a couple of weeks, it might be a month, it might be years. Then you know sort of sometimes you know productions move, sometimes they don't, um, and it it's sort of. Uh, on the name front, yes, because you know, sort of various broadcasters will will want, might want somebody to to or, or not. You know, a lot of um, sort of new drama, teen drama, don't necessarily need names. But do you? But do you worry? Like you mentioned about the drama schools not having their graduations or very limiting in their graduations. Yeah. Do you think that will have a real kick on effect to the pool of actors? that will then come later on? Like, it, the, the pool won't be as as big, potentially, because of everything that's happened. It's going to be trickier for younger, say, working-class actors to pursue it because of the kind of state that we are in at the moment, therefore reduce the pool of actors. Well, I think the, the pool will be reduced anyway because, I mean, sadly, as you know, you know when is theatre going to come back? Mm. And mm. that affects... Because, you know, our country has um has so much theater whether it's regional or in sort of here in london um and you know theaters are going to go broke and that's really sad and that's you lose then a lot of you know local actors mm. and yes you're right about working class you know actors there's um you know, recently there have been several sort of drama schools which have sort of opened up to cater for for students who have um, who don't have the money to go to a, a drama school because it's very costly, um, mm -hmm. but I don't know how this will affect now because obviously we don't know. You know, sort of part of being a drama student is that you you meet and and you do auditions face to face. So it doesn't quite work with Zoom or FaceTime or if you need that intimacy. It's, so mm. it's going to be quite tricky, I think, in the next, to see how this evolves. If you can't earn money as an actor, then how are you even going to be even attempt to audition for it? Exactly. But that, I think that's a, with a lot of people, it's, uh, we're going to find that a lot of jobs are not going to be coming back. A lot of restaurants. Um, and mm -hmm. Well, that's what our actors do. If you're not working as an actor, you usually... Usually a, a restaurant or an Uber driver or, or something. And you're usually a part-time actor until you get something. A lot of actors have other jobs throughout their life. Tim, what was yours? What was your first? My first job? Well, I, when I was at drama school, I used to work in a, in a garage, um, um, which, which was horrendous. I was the only person working. So I think because, I'm, you know, because I was quite sort of arty and hello, um, people just used <laughs> to come in and steal petrol. <laughs> a lot of cars would drive in in vans, steal petrol, flip me the bird uh, as they drove away. So I was like, oh, God, I'm just trying to phone the police. 
So that was interesting. But then um, immediately when I left drama school to earn some cash, I worked in telemarketing. You'd be great at that. I was those wonderful people that ring up. Great gig. Great gig. Yeah. Great to train you for rejection. Oh, you really, you, I mean, there were some absolute choice ones, but there was a, there was a, there's, a, there's been some other actors who have actually come from that uh, path. Oliver Maltman, for instance, we used to work together uh, doing telemarketing. And the worst one, just to digress here, the worst one I've ever had was uh, for an insurance company. Now, usually when you ring up, people think you are from the insurance company, let's say Prudential or something. But you're not. You're a third party. So I can remember ringing this this woman up, and she said, "Yes, it was all very sudden. Um, my husband uh, he he left the room in the middle of the night, and my my son, my my baby son, had obviously left out uh, like a roller skate on the stairs. The doctors said that he had broke his neck instantly when he hit the floor, oh, and uh, that he he was dead on scene. And my my oh. I had to go okay." But on a scale of one to ten, where would you put Prudential's reaction to that? Well, it, I mean, I just don't know. I need a number. I don't know. Five or six. It has to be one. It has to be five or six. Maybe a six. Thank you. And then move. It was horrific. And we did it for about a month, ringing up bereaved people who the insurance had not paid out. That was the work, and that was the end of it. By the time I was, I got to the end of that, I went, I'm never doing this job again. It was absolute. It ripped you to pieces. But it certainly prepared you for, for, for life as an actor. Yes, I can tell you. for rejection. Yeah. What was your job, David? Yeah, I used to work in, in a, a, actually, while I was on a network show, I was working in the local supermarket, being a checkout from time to time. And then people would be like, are you that guy from a bit? No. I'm not. I'm sure, I swear you look like someone I know. I'd be like, I don't know what you're talking about. Beep, beep, beep. Get their groceries through and out. I, but there's no shame in that no, job. It was, it was more not. sort of like the fact that I had to, on the one hand, you know, step on set and then people be serving your coffees in your one life and you'd be coming home and you'd be treated like a superstar. And then then you go to your job the next day and, you you know, just with a bunch of other people on the checkout serving people. And But I, I think that's far more realistic to what life is about than what our acting job is about. It's a very strange world that we occupy. And it, it does make you appreciate a whole lot more what you have when you've got it. Mm. Um, don't mind, we will complain a lot on set, Tim, won't we? Yeah. What are you complaining about, guys? There's everything to complain about, Suzanne, if you think hard about it. There's, 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 there's that very classic actor's gag of the guy coming home to his girlfriend and saying, the most incredible things happen. I've just been cast. Go, oh my God, it's, I'm the lead. Oh my God, it's with Robert De Niro. It's me and Robert De Niro. It's a two-hander. We're filming in Prague. It's for six months. It's going to be incredible. And do you know what the best part is? What? I've got tomorrow off. <laughs> and I think that is very much the actor's sort of thing going, this is incredible, but I will have a Wed's lunch. That's <laughs> classic, classic actor. Well, I mean, it used to be be an actor and see the world, but you know now uh -huh. I'm not sure that that is. You'd think that if anything that might apply to me, but I thought that and it was being an actor see the world, being an actor see the inside of a hotel room is usually how it, how it um, pans out. I remember one time that I'd heard a director once saying, I think it might have been Scorsese who said that um, that casting is like eighty to ninety percent of a movie, and once you have that figured out, the direct, direct direction is easy, and so. When I hear that, I think, 
hang on. If a movie fails, is Scorsese saying that the casting director deserves 80 to 90% of the blame? <laughs> I mean, can you think of any casting decisions that have really hurt a project that you've been involved with or maybe to be safe, one that you haven't been involved with? Um, I don't know. I mean, so, some, I think, you know, sometimes I've watched things and thought, that was not the script that I read originally. Um, yeah, I watch thinking and say, like, I wouldn't play it like that. You're going, like, I wouldn't have cast it like that. Or I wouldn't direct <laughs> it like that. But um, oh, right. it's <laughs> because I, I, Tim, as you know, I spend quite, <clears throat> I spend quite a lot of time directing actors. So it's, mm. uh, but also you read the script. So sometimes you watch something uh, and you think, what happened? Why did they cut this? Why did they cut that? And I'm not talking about Outlander. I'm talking about, you know, other, other productions because, you know, the lucky thing about Outlander is I go to the, uh, the read-through, mm -hmm. um, which is we have uh, in blocks of two, we do two episodes. So um, we, uh, we go and we read the, the, the scripts. And so you can hear the words that are, are nearly going to be, in, and, and there's little tweaks before you actually choose. But there's nothing that I've had a real disaster with that I thought was was wrong from my perspective. From other perspectives, mm -hmm. I've I, you know, sometimes I've gone, oh God, that is really so great, or. Mm -hmm. I wish they had that scene that I really liked him. Why did they cut that? But um, Hollywood is full of casting stories and, and decisions that, you know, almost were. And oh, oh, yeah. And sometimes, you know, actors say no and you just go, I don't, you know, on, I don't get why you said no, but uh, mm. you, you can't persuade somebody if they have no affinity with the script. Exactly. I mean, there's, there's always those famous articles that get, thrown up in the media from time to time like actors that famously turned down roles ones that stick in my mind are like will smith turned down the matrix i think gwyneth paltrow turned down titanic uh one that i saw recently was al pacino turned down han solo which i think you know that decision is probably worked out for that the was best. a good decision <laughs> um I, you know yeah. i'd love to see it <laughs> I'd love to see Al Pacino and Chewbacca, you know, flying through space with the Millennium Falcon, just both of them screaming their heads off. Yeah. Four pop sex. Hoo-ha. Straight to hoo-ha. That's my Chewbacca. That was your opportunity for anyone who is confused. But uh, there's sometimes, you know, there are actors that get so synonymous with a role. Um, but there's sometimes when you think, what, what if? What if Sean Connery had played Gandalf or whatever? Do you look back on casting decisions you make and wonder what if? Um, not really, because that's sort of always that. That's the um, no, no. I haven't. I haven't done that because. Sort of at the time, you might have gone, oh, God, they should have chosen so-and-so, and they didn't. Um, and uh, you feel that some an actor could have given uh, given more to, to a role. It doesn't have to be a lead role. It, it could be any role. Um, and But then you just have to get over it, you know, in the end. It's... Uh, um, I was taught casting by a wonderful lady called Rose Tobias Shaw. Uh, I was her assistant associate for five years. 
she came, she was brought up in the Bronx. She wow. was, uh, um, she went through Ellis Island. Uh, she died in her 90s. She was an incredible woman. Uh, and I learned a lot from her. And one was the three, the, ro the, the rule of three. Um, she said, and she and it's proved right. She said, you can have your opinion or try and persuade people three times. Don't do it any more than three because they won't listen. Wow. And that's a good rule uh, of life. She, she's been, and, and I take the, the rule of three. What other ways that you try to persuade people to your opinion on a casting choice? Um, sometimes people ask my opinion, sometimes they don't. Uh, so you, you get to know, you know, people's psychology right. when you're working, you're working with them. Um, I, I do turn down projects that I have no affinity with or I don't like the people involved. You just like get a headshot and slowly push it under the nose of uh, Ron or, or someone. Oh, what about I mean, this person? Yeah, <laughs> a little bit subtler than that, but. More so. Okay. I, I'm clearly not cut out to be a Usually casting like director. Usually just a mug with their picture on it. Just, <laughs> just very, sub, very subliminal. It's like. Oh, I'm just holding it up to your face. Yeah, this was a Christmas well, gift. You know, I don't know what you're talking about. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you ever thought of taking any trips to Australia, Ron? And uh, by the way, I've got this Australian actor. <laughs> I thought you might be interested. Well, show, show reels are a good good thing because sometimes you know, if if producers or directors only see a person in one light, you can then you know show um, other sort of facets to their work and their depth. An actor. I'm constantly looking for ways to improve my show reel, to, to get more depth and uh, more. Look at my range. Look, I can play drug addict. I can play upper class guy. I can play, actors love to do that. We want to see that we can be right for anything. And I think we want casting directors to, to, to think about in, in that way. Well, I hate that thing when people sort of say, so who do you see me as? And you go, right. uh, no, I don't want to put you in a box, you know, sort of mm. what's my range? Where you know, I mean, the only thing I would say is about you know age, you know, sort of because you you have on on spotlight here, you know, you're playing age. Mm -hmm. So sometimes you know, sort of people in their thirties have sixteen to you know thirty five, and you just go. Yeah, I think that leads to this question of diversity in casting, um, and I don't know if you're aware of this, Tim. But while I personally think that Tim, you are very handsome and talented, I'm afraid. Hollywood likes to call guys like you and me uh, pale, male, and stale. And I believe that's also what your wife calls you from time to time. It is. It is. That's, that's yeah. the thing. I thought so. <laughs> but anyway, I, I want to know what's your view on diversity in casting and, and where do you draw the line on this issue? Are you willing to look past things like nationality, race, sexuality, et cetera, if an actor is really right for the role? Well, I mean, it's, it's um, I think um, uh, you know, American networks have always been aware that uh, more, uh, to have more diverse roles uh, and, and whether it's, you know, women as well, I, I would add to that. Uh, uh, but most of the shows, uh, you know, sort of, uh, uh, well, a lot of the shows that I work on have been, uh, you know, quite diverse. I, I did something recently called Shadow and Bone, and we have the most diverse cast in in in, mm -hmm. in that uh, for Netflix. Um, and I was, 
I was doing another show for Netflix, uh, which was going to start filming in Madrid. Um, but a week before filming, of course, it was closed down. And we had, you know, actors from all over Europe and, other, and also, uh, you know, some diverse um, and diverse casting as well. Um, I think, you know, and on other shows, you know, I have sort of said, well, can we change that to a woman? Because there's so many, you know, roles are sort of male-led, um, and and I think that has changed, but should still keep changing. Um, it, we, you know, we're on Outlander. We have a female lead, which is fantastic, and <clears throat> now there's more and more shows with females in the lead. Mm -hmm. um, I think it's very important to reflect our society. You know, we live in. Tim and I live in London, so you just walk down the street and we have such a diverse, um, you know, London is very diverse. We did a show um, for YouTube um, called Origin, uh, where it was a science fiction and we had, we had, we cast worldwide. We had, you know, um, Japanese, German, uh, Spanish, you know, English. Um, so it was very, um, and French, uh, all, all speaking their own language and, um, and English. So what if it comes down to you, you found the right person, but they're not the right race. They're not the right sex. They're not the right nationality. What, what are we doing now? I mean, there's been some famous blunders in Hollywood, like I think Emma Stone, is one of them that we pointed out when in I think is the, the the Descendants. She was playing Hawaiian or something like that. There's one that in Australia that got a lot of flack. It was called Gods of Egypt, and they had a whole lot of oh, white yeah. people running yeah, around yeah, being yeah. Egyptians. But surely there's circumstances where you have the right actor, but they're just they're not right nationality or whatever. Or you have the wrong actor. Or, or how important is authenticity? I mean, you had to. I don't want to lead you here, but you had like. Cherokee people that you had to cast in, in Outlander. And then you've also had to cast some Scottish people who aren't Scottish. You've had to cast an English person who is an Australian. Um, you found the right person, but for whatever reason, they're not the right thing. Where do you draw the line? Well, our, our native um, Indians are all native. They're, they're, they're not. Um, uh, that is, you know, on Outlander, it's very important. It's very important to us if you are French, uh, you speak French, and you you are French. So we've cast French actors, uh, the same as we've cast you know, German actors. But equally, you know, we've had Lottie Verbeek's Dutch, who's playing Scottish, right? Um, mm -hmm. And uh, but all our uh, native Indians have native um, passports, heritage. Uh, that is very, very important to Outlander. So why is that important? And then not maybe uh, Lotta's heritage, for example. I mean, she was the right actress for the role. She, you know, sort of, we, we she had the right vibe for it. it, it heritage is um, on, on a, she was the right actress for the, for the role. But would you have uh, sort of people made up? as American Native Indians who are not? No, you would not. Well, if, if you're asking 1950s, David, I probably would say yes. It, it's We've had a huge evolution in how we cast things. I, I think it's more global, more global now. You know, sort of at one time it, it, it wasn't. 
and everybody, you know, all the Brits and Australians used to go to um, America. Now, you know, so many productions are done outside of America. Yeah. I have a fun fantasy kind of football question for all of us mm -hmm. uh, for the end. It's a hypothetical, so please don't take it too seriously. But let's just say Outlander is not yet a thing. We're all going to be casting directors here, okay? Mm -hmm. um, for whatever reason... Every actor that's currently on the show is not available. Like they've given up acting and gone to real estate or they're in rehab or abducted by aliens. I don't know. But you can have any actor alive or dead. Who are you casting in Outlander? So I'm going to give you mine. All right. I'm thinking Liam Neeson for Jamie Fraser, playing it safe. Meryl Streep as Claire Fraser. And I think she's going to double bill here. She's going to double bill for Brianna because she's just that good. Then I'm going to go for Sean Connery as Roger. Then, of course, for Tim in Tryon's role, I'm, I'm thinking someone who's got that beautiful sense of entitled upper crust smug that you play to perfection. So I'm thinking Thank maybe you. Tom Hiddleston. Um, Interesting. Interesting. Yes. Ooh, and right. then uh, finally, if I were to cast myself, I'm going to go with um, Tom Cruise. <laughs> it was a toss-up between him and Dwayne The Rock Johnson. I just thought maybe uh, those muscles would have a hard time fitting into my clothes. But I want to throw the question back to you. It's, it's the fantasy, fantasy football of Outlander. Who, who are we casting? Firstly, Tim. I, oof, if we were going to go um, purely on height and not age, then I would, you mentioned him earlier, I would probably, I'd love John Lithgow as a Jamie Fraser. I think he'd be fantastic. Wow. I think he'd be, he would that. bring a certain sort of, he'd bring certain something. I mean, the man can, can be in Bigfoot and the Hendersons and play Churchill. So the range <laughs> is definitely there. Um, wow. And uh, for Claire, I would love to see Joe, someone like Jodie Foster. I'm a massive Ooh. fan of Jodie Foster. Really, I, yes. I definitely think sort of the sort of um, that uh, Summersby sort of era, um, where I think she'd be fabulous. Um, I was having a think actually, David, as you were mentioning yourself, and I would think what would be amazing, who would be amazing to play, is maybe a Martin Short. Um, <laughs> I think he would be <laughs> absolutely <laughs> perfect. I can really, really would. See you know that. what? If my if he called me up tomorrow and said, David, I want your role. I would say, absolutely, Martin, it's yours. Just get Steve Martin to play Tryon's role, and then we'll have our own spinoff. How about that? Boom. Perfect. Right. It writes itself. This, it writes this itself. writes itself. But I honestly, I, well, I just, you know, go and have a look at Three Amigos and tell me if I'm wrong, David. Tell me if I'm wrong. Um, Suzanne, so right. what, uh, what, what well, do you think? First of all, I, um, for Tryon's role, I thought it should be David Niven. Oh, yes. Ooh, yes. Wow. Yes. yes. That's, a, um, that's a great choice. Wonderful. And, and for Jamie, I thought, well, one of the Hemsworths, really, sort of wow, going okay. near the Australians. Yeah. I mean, there's so many choices there. Yeah. There's about five or six of them, aren't there? <laughs> I get mistaken for one of them from time to time. Oh, you? <laughs> you got, <laughs> I'm Australian. I'm, I don't know. Maybe I'm just flattering myself. Yeah. Um, okay, who, who we got as Claire? Oh, gosh, that's really so difficult um, because she's so sort of. Uh, I, I I was going to go with Meryl when you were, and then you and you said it, and I thought no. Hey, Meryl is never a bad choice. Yeah. No, never a bad I choice. Mean, I, I will second you on that. Uh, we got Roger, Brianna, and then finally gosh, Lord um, John. Please. Um, I hadn't really thought of of, of, of uh, Roger and Brianna. Um, no, I hadn't. Maybe Brianna, uh, Emma Stone. You mentioned Emma Stone. I think she'd be brilliant. She'd be Oof. very good. Okay. Or Rachel McAdams, maybe. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I'm down with. It. There you go. 
Suzanne? Oh gosh, I don't, I don't, it's so difficult when you, when I've cast them to, to put it in a sort of a, in a funny way or whatever. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> um, mm -mm. I, oh. I don't know. I, I, I'm going. I'm going to sort of not not say. I think that's fine. Meryl Streep for everything. She can play Meryl Batman. Streep the whole the whole right. way. Uh, and maybe maybe for Roger. Just had a uh, left field thought. Kevin Hart. Diverse. Diverse. Just sort of right. throw that in there. Uh, might Diverse, be a, I would worry be a bit short. Uh, but that would, that would, I think he'd be fine. Hey, I'm with you. Kevin Hart is a great actor. I, I'm just not sure about his Scottish accent, but I'm sure he can work on it. That man can do anything. That may be his downfall, is uh, his Inverness accent may prove a stumbling block. Um, I don't know how he is on regional Scottish accents. Maybe he's amazing. Well, we do have a very good dialect coach, so... Uh... Easy. See? Oh, wow. Easy. Mm. That's true. Wonderful. Well, look, Suzanne, thank you so much for, for your time today. It's been a, a real insight and wonderful, wonderful to chat to you. Yeah, same, same guys. You take care. And you as well. Thank you. Bye. Okay, Tim, it's time for our listener mail. We have we have a great one here. I think you're going to like this one, Tim. Oh, yeah. It's from a very special person. Someone very famous has been listening to our podcast. No, they haven't. Oh, apparently they have. It says, I, Bill Gates. There you go. Bill Gates, Tim, is our listener. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Bill Gates and my wife have decided to donate the sum of $10,500,000 to you as part of our charity to improve the 10 lucky individuals all over the world. Okay, well, it goes on and on and on. Let's see how we get this. Uh, to facilitate the payment process yeah. of $10,500,000, uh -huh. uh, which have been donated solely to you, you are to send me your full names, your contact right. address, your personal telephone number. Um, and uh, he says here, um, thank you very much from Mr. Bill Gates and Melinda Gates. Remain blessed. Wow. So I think we should do a 50-50 split on that, uh, Tim. How are you going to spend your... your I think so. Uh, oh, wow, I mean, that's quite a shock. I didn't really think I'd be, uh, be earning $5 million that easily. Thank you, thank you, Mr. and Mrs. Gates. I think, first of all, I mean, if, you, if we weren't in the situation we are, I'd say uh, uh, I'll go on holiday, but can't do that. I don't know, buy pictures, maybe. Maybe some paint, paint yep. the house. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll do something like that. Start small, and then might get a dog, maybe. Yeah. Yeah, maybe that. How are you? Oh, I don't know. I, hey, I've got a great idea. We could make our own movie, Tim. We could make Ooh. our own movie with that amount of money. We could make yes. our own series. We could make the Lord John and Governor Tryon show. That's something I look. I have a script um, ready to go. That's where I'm going to spend my money. Actually, that is an incredible idea. Let's do that. Now, in a way, we're giving back. We are in a funny way, much like uh, Mr. and Mrs. Gates. Thank you again for your kind donation. So, Tim. I'm just going to need your full name and your contact address and your telephone number. We'll put that in and then we'll get the money, all right? That sounds great. I'll also provide you with my mother's maiden name and my first school. I don't see any problem with that. Great. Thank you for listening to Outcasts. Please remember to rate, subscribe and leave a review as it all helps. Follow us on our Instagram page at outcast.podcast for all the latest updates. Or you can send us an email at outcastspodcastshow at gmail.com. Every week, we shall select a question from one of our listeners to answer on the show. The theme music is composed by Kieran Ledwidge. 
All views and opinions expressed on the show are our own and have no affiliation with the series of books written by Diana Gabaldon or the Sony Stars television show Outlander. No animals were harmed in the making of this podcast. Although I did have a ham sandwich earlier. So. See you next time. See you next time. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.